Hey church family, if you have a copy of God's Word with you, if you would open it up there with me to Mark chapter 3. We'll be beginning in Mark chapter 3 verse 22 today. As you're turning there, I want to remind you, just last week, a couple verses leading up to this passage and on the back side of it is a story of Jesus' family going out to seek Him and find Him because they believe He is out of His mind. Enough is enough. Things have gotten too crazy, too extreme. They're even concerned about His physical welfare. So they're going out to get Him and, and to seize Him. And what we encounter today in Mark 3, verses 22 to 29... It's an inserted story um, in the middle of what we covered last week. And what I want to do is I want to pray for us, and then instead of reading it all in the outset, we're going to walk through it together. So I hope you found your place there. Let's pray together. Father God, we come to you right now, and we're so privileged that we can exalt your name through worship. Thank you for the confidence that we have, being able to approach your throne boldly because of your grace extended to us. And right now, Father, we're so excited for what you have in store through your word. So we ask that you would make it known, make yourself known, make things so clear and impactful. Would you please speak clearly and powerfully to us through your word at this time? We pray these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. So the passage we've opened up to today in Mark chapter 3, it's a passage where the crowds are continuing. Jesus truly has this celebrity status in Israel, and it really is this overwhelming popularity. The crowds are continuing to come in by the droves, and they are continuing to press in. And here in Mark chapter 3, verse 22, we have an introduction to a, a new group who joins the pre-existing crowd. Verse 22 describes what it says, the scribes who came down from Jerusalem. So these scribes were part of Jewish leadership, religious Jewish leadership. They were under Roman control, but at a distance, and they allowed these Jewish leaders to still lead and rule over their local regions. And these scribes were coming down for Jerusalem. And they had something they wanted to declare to the crowd. They had a disclaimer. They wanted to discredit what was going on in the life and ministry of Jesus. And here's what they say in verse 22. These scribes were saying... Jesus is possessed by Beelzebul, literally meaning the devil, and also a little easier to pronounce. This man is possessed by the devil, and by the prince of demons, Jesus cast out the demons. So, so rethink about that phrase that was just cried out there, this discrediting declaration, and how it would have reverberated across the crowds during that moment. He's the devil. This man you've been following, this man who's been doing all these signs and wonders and speaking these things about being the Son of God and being about his Father's business, he is the devil, and the devil is working through him and casting out other demons. And as those discrediting declarations were reverberating across the crowds, what did that crowd makeup look like? We know, obviously, it, it included Jesus. We know it included these Jewish leaders, these scribes who came down from Jerusalem. And also we know it, it included the, the most recently appointed 12 apostles. But it also included some who weren't mentioned here, but they were mentioned earlier. And those others making up the, the majority of the remaining crowd were those whose lives had been transformed by Jesus. These were people who had diseases, sicknesses, 
Crippling effects, handicaps, blindness, they couldn't see. They were possessed by demons themselves, but they had encountered Jesus and their lives had been radically, completely transformed by the Son of God. And as a result, they were continuing to press in to Him. But also I want to bring to your attention, there were others in that crowd as well. Think about some of those who had been transformed by Jesus. Perhaps there was a blind man and Jesus gave him sight. Think about that blind man going back home and and maybe he knocked on the door at his home and his teenage kids opened the door and saw his father, saw their father and for the first time, their father no longer being blind is physically able to see his children. Those children in that household would then follow dad who once was blind back to press into Jesus and to truly see this man who's performing so many miracles. Think about a a person who may have been formerly demon-possessed, but because of Jesus' power in encountering Jesus, Jesus spoke and the demons fled from him. Think about a person who was formerly demon-possessed going back home. See, in that day, as you can imagine, if your husband was demon-possessed, he could no longer live with you. You couldn't handle that among the family and the household. He would have to be sent away. He would leave. But imagine one day he came back to your home, knocking on the door. And as his wife, you opened the door who'd been struggling as a single mother. And there's something different. You see your husband, you so quickly want to close the door, but he says, no, wait, I'm different. No longer he has that glassed over look over his eyes. No longer is he staring over the distance and possessed by by demons, but he's been brought to a fullness of life and a wholeness and a, a hope because of Jesus. And he's saying, come and see what Jesus has done in my life. So you have these people who have encountered the transformation of life through Jesus and also those who have heard about those encounters and they were coming in by the droves, pressing in to Jesus. And in this moment, they hear, they hear this discrediting declaration that this man who has transformed your life, he's possessed by Satan. That's why the demons flee, because demons obey Satan. Think about that. It, it makes sense. It's actually pretty plausible. Demons always do obey Satan. There's no attempts um, for insurrection towards Satan. Now, we do know Satan um, did have insurrection against God, but his demons always obey him. And so these leaders, these Jewish leaders coming down from Jerusalem in that culture, these were leaders highly esteemed, highly respected. In that culture, you would have admired them your entire lives. You would have even had a, a reverential fear. You would have had a trust in these Jewish leaders. And now in this crowd, filled with people whose lives have been transformed because of Jesus, they are crying out to the masses and saying, you want to know how he really does what he does? He's a fake. He's a phony. The only reason he's able to cast out demons is because Satan himself possesses Jesus' body. This leadership you've trusted for your whole life is saying these things, and now where you've come to see Jesus with great enthusiasm and expectancy. Things have been dampened with hesitation because of what these trusted leaders are declaring. But Scripture continues, and then it says Jesus responds. And this is what Jesus responds with from verses 23 to 27. 
It says, Jesus called them to himself and he said to them in parables as he often taught. He asked this question at the outset, how can Satan cast out Satan? Remember, these leaders were accusing, hey, the only reason you're able to do this is because you're possessed by Satan and therefore the demons are obeying him and being cast out. Jesus says, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Jesus' response here is saying this. How, how can Satan kick out Satan? What, what's helpful here is the reminder of Satan's purpose. What is Satan's purpose for your life? What's Satan's purpose for the lives of, of all humanity? Satan's very existence is purposed with a mission to keep you from Jesus. He knows who Jesus is. He knows what he's about. He knows what he offers. He knows he wins in the end for all eternity. And so Satan is constantly always preoccupied with the singular, most prioritized objective with a mission to keep you from Jesus. And that's precisely why Jesus asked this rhetorical question. How can Satan cast out Satan? What he's saying is, if Satan's purpose is to destroy your life by keeping you from Jesus, he wants to control you, he wants to possess you. And so if Satan has accomplished that, if, if there are people who Satan have already possessed and come in control over, in no way would he ever voluntarily relinquish that control. See, Jesus had been casting out demons. And if it truly was Satan casting out these demons, it would go in direct opposition to his mission. So in no way would Satan cast demons out of the lives of people in whom he had accomplished control and possession. So he says, it's not true. What, what you accuse me of, your discredit here, it's not true because no way would Satan relinquish this control. And then in verse 27, what I just read, Jesus says this, no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed, he may plunder his house. Here's what Jesus is saying in verse 27, that the only man able to go into a house and actually plunder it is one who is stronger than the one whose house is being plundered. So think about this. Satan is able to go out and possess people's lives who are not children of God, who are not followers of Jesus Christ, who, who do not have the Spirit of God indwelling inside of them. But what Jesus is saying here as well is for as strong and mighty as Satan is, and he is, Jesus is reminding them, I am the Son of God. I am eternally, infinitely stronger than even Satan. And only I can go into that house. Only I have gone into Satan's house and wrecked him and broken him and sealed his fate knowing that there will be a finality to his rule and dominion one day. Because I am the Son of God. 
All eyes are on Jesus. The Jewish leadership have cast doubt and they presented this very reasonable, plausible doubt that Satan was casting out demons through Jesus. But then Jesus provides something equally reasonable, that there's no way Satan would voluntarily give up this possession. And at this point, what the crowds just heard from Jesus and these Jewish leaders, the crowds had a choice. In this moment, what's described in this narrative was a moment, an opportunity orchestrated by the Holy Spirit himself. An opportunity that the, that the Holy Spirit orchestrates in the moments of everybody's life on earth. An opportunity where you are presented the truth of who Jesus is and then you have the choice. Will you believe what men say about who Jesus is or will you believe Jesus in what he says about himself? Really similar to what we see played out in the book of Genesis. In Genesis, we have Adam and Eve, and they're giving, given all these benefits and blessings in their lives and creation. And God says, out of my love for you and your love for me, there's one tree um, you cannot go to. You're forbidden to eat from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they're trusting God in this. But then Satan comes along. Hey, how are things going? Oh, life is so good. Had this relationship with God the Father. We have the fellowship with Him and the animals and all of creation. It's so wonderful. And you can imagine Satan coming in and, wait a minute, is life really as good as you describe it? If I understand your situation here, if I understand your predicament here, as best I can tell, there's something that God's forbidding you from. Why does he tell you not to eat from that one tree? Well, God told us not to eat from this one tree. He told us if we do eat from this one tree, we will surely die. And Satan, just like these scribes and Jewish leaders in the New Testament narrative, Satan in this moment presents the question, replies and says, you want to know really? You really want to know why God forbids you to eat from that tree? He's lying to you. He's keeping something that's better from you. You want to know why he, he forbids you from eating this tree? He can't be trusted. And then in that context, both Adam and Eve, not just Eve, not just Adam, but Eve and then with a passive, unreliable spiritual leader in Adam, they both ate of that fruit. And here we are 2,000 plus years later, still any detestable scenario or experience we encounter, physical sickness, violence, domestic abuse, prejudices, brokenness, dysfunctional families, they all come from that original listening to another's voice rather than clinging to God's words as all-sufficient. We know redemption comes from faith, not on what men say, but what on Jesus says about himself. And this is where Jesus finishes up in 28 and 29. He shared this parable. And then he says, Truly I say to you, in verse 28, all sins will be forgiven the children of man. And whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. Here's what Jesus is doing in 
and putting a bow on his parable and closing the conversation among these crowds and these Jewish leaders who had a personal agenda to push. What he's saying here is that among those crowds, the Holy Spirit has orchestrated a moment, an opportunity for all who have heard the sayings of men and the sayings of Jesus. And they now have this choice to place their faith on what the Holy Spirit has orchestrated in placing their trust in the truths of who Jesus is and what he says about himself. What he makes clear in verse 29 is really gut-wrenching. He says, there's a scenario of never having forgiveness. A once-for-all opportunity missed. Never again to be available. What he's saying is that at some point in life, we all have the opportunity to hear the truth of Jesus and respond in faith on that. But if we disagree with who Jesus is, we will spend an eternity with no forgiveness. We will spend an eternity separated from God in eternal torments and punishments with no forgiveness. But the Word of God says that in Jesus, you can be forgiven. You can be forgiven for lying. You can be forgiven for stealing. You can be forgiven for cheating on a test. You can even be forgiven for having an affair and being physically intimate with someone outside of your marriage bed. You can be forgiven for being an adulterer. You can be forgiven for being a murderer. You can be forgiven for being a rapist, a drug addict, an alcoholic. Because in the life and the moments of every human being, there's an opportunity in which the Holy Spirit orchestrates for you to make a choice of faith in that which man says about Jesus or about that which Jesus says and confirms and validates time and time again about himself. I don't know who needs to hear this today. As we have a couple more weeks of online worship, what I do know is that in this very moment, anyone who is listening to this message, whether you're a member of Katie's First, whether this is your first time um, logging in, or you're just a guest who saw something shared on social media, the maker of heaven and earth has orchestrated the moments of your life to be in this moment right now with an opportunity to hear the truth of who Jesus is, what he has to offer in your life, and then you have the choice to place faith on Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The truth is very straightforward based on what the Bible teaches us. We were created in this world, and as a result of original sin from Adam and Eve, we are in this product of a fallen world. We have a sinful nature. We lie, we cheat, we steal. I've done those things, you've done those things. We are all guilty before God, and our sin causes this chasm that is too great a gap, this separation that is too wide, where we have to remain separated from God because we are sinful and He is holy and sinless. But what the Bible says is that God so perfectly and radically loves us that He loves us so much not to leave us in our hopelessness and in our sinful condition. But, but that even though our sin deserves death, 
He sent Jesus, his son, his only begotten, very God of very God, who lived a perfect life, who in him there has never been, never was, and never will be any blemish or sin. But there came a time in his life where he took the sin punishment in our place. Sin deserves death. And Jesus died on a cross in your place, in my place, taking on the sin of all humanity. And he was buried in a tomb for three days, but according to the scriptures, on the third day, he rose from the dead victorious. The grave has been conquered. And should anyone simply profess a sincerity of faith on what Jesus teaches about himself and has confirmed and validated of himself in everything he has said and everything he has done, you too can have an everlasting hope. You too can have everlasting life. You too can have forgiveness for every area of stain in your life. That through relationship with Jesus brings a hope, brings restoration, brings an abundance of blessing that only your Heavenly Father can provide. So as we wrap up today's message, I want to encourage you. Do not ignore the choice you have today. You have heard the truth of man that calls Jesus a liar and a fake. But you've also heard the truth of who Jesus is and all that he has proven on your behalf. If you'd like to know more about having a relationship with Jesus, or maybe you are a member of our church, or maybe you're a child of a family member and you want to follow through with the obedience of baptism, heed the voice of Jesus in this moment that the Holy Spirit's orchestrated. You'll find that fulfillment he provides you. And he'll be glorified. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that in your relentless love toward us, by your Holy Spirit, you do orchestrate these moments in our lives to encounter you, to hear about you, the truth of you. And we have the opportunity to accept it and embrace it. God, I pray right now, anyone who can hear my voice, who is in need of forgiveness. I'm certain, God, there is someone who can hear my voice now who they believe, they believe they're, they're not able to be forgiven, that their sin is too great. They've messed up too many times. Father, speak to them right now. Cause them to realize that through Jesus, there is available forgiveness. I ask that you would give them the courage to reach out and connect with us at Katie's First to see what those next steps may look like. And Father, I pray that the truth of who Jesus is and what he says about himself will also continue to strengthen our relationships with you as followers of Jesus. That as we continue to navigate this world, as we continue to get excited for re-entry and re-gathering in person for worship and all of life, that we continue on a daily basis To place our trust and our faith in your words rather than anything of man. We pray these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.